This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From around the world, this is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated restricted for anyone listening under the age of 17. Frequent or prolonged examples of violence, coarse language, and adult situations may apply. This is the Transmissions from Atlantis Entertainment Network. Expand your wonder. Hey there, folks. JC Delatore here, creator of Vampires of Whitechapel. And we just wanted to say thank you for your support of the show. Response has been great, and we're really encouraged. Please continue to share the show with your friends and family, and please remember to rate and review the show in your favorite podcast app. It's so vitally important to our success, as it helps others find us. Also, we have a drive to get 500 patrons on Patreon before year's end. If we can get there, we can guarantee Season 2 of Vampires of Whitechapel. It only costs $1 monthly, and it gets you access to a ton of cool perks, including exclusive Patreon-only episodes, AMAs, interviews with creators and your favorite actors, and more. To join our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash TFA Entertainment. Finally, Midnight Syndicate has graciously allowed us to use their music for this audio drama. All the music used can be found and purchased at their site at midnightsyndicate.com. That's it for me. Let's see what scary thrills we have in store this week. Transmissions from Atlantis Entertainment presents The Vampires of Whitechapel Episode 5 The New Dawn Written by J.C. Delatore Note, this show contains dramatic scenes of horror and descriptions of violence or gore that may be unsettling to young listeners. Parental discretion is strongly advised. So... It's time. As you're reading this, I am perched outside your window right now. Don't look. You won't see me, because I'm too fast. Don't bother turning on more lights either. It won't help you. If I wanted you dead, you'd already be so. Honestly, I've grown so hungry. I can go either way with you. So just know, the game we've been playing these long months is over. I'm behind you now. Don't look, don't turn around. Not yet. Here it is. The question 
I must ask you before we decide which road to take. Do you want to live or die? Just remember, if you choose life, you did this to yourself. I accept no blame for what you become. You chose this existence. Alistair Conacher. Dear listener, when I tell you I don't scare easy, it's true. I could watch horror movies with the worst blood and gore. It would never faze me. I've seen crime scenes that would give most nightmares. I'm strong-willed and never back down. What I saw that night, I will never forget. I witnessed Alistair the Vampire in the throes of his blood rage. His skin had turned a dark gray, and any semblance of the handsome gentleman outside the post office had dissipated into this hideous beast. His eyes were dark black coals with no pupil, just all blackness all the way up to the eyelids. His teeth were jagged, like a shark's teeth. A spit of drool dropped from one. His claws were dagger-like, a demonic Edward Scissorhands ready to carve me up for dinner. The rest of his body was covered in a sheet that resembled a priest's robe. His pointed ears were bat-like. Do you comprehend what I've offered you? I could scream and there will be- To more whose deaths you will be responsible for. It's all true then. You are this... this... vampire. We prefer the Faratu. But in your language, I guess vampire is the most identifiable term. So, what are you waiting for, vampire? You have me at your mercy. For you to answer the question. And what would that be? Life or death. Think carefully, my love. Choose death, and you will end up like those poor souls you have been finding along my path. I will dive into your midsection and blood the most blood-drenched, tastiest morsels. Suck them dry and bathe in your blood until I have reached my fill. Then I'll kill your two friends, just for dessert. Choose life, and you become as I am. Strong, fast, beautiful, except with the rage hits you. You'll be young forever. I'll be your night father, and you will be my child and mate. Mate? Uh, I don't think so, Al. I don't want to be like you. Some sick, vicious animal. Do you not understand what will happen to you if you refuse? You've made that abundantly clear. I don't want your life. The answer is no. I turned my back to him and waited. 
I felt his clammy claws on my shoulders. So be it. I felt the intense pain of his teeth strike my neck and the sensation of being drained of my life. I didn't struggle, there wasn't a point. I was surprised at how gentle he was being. From his letter, he had described the insatiable lust for blood as a completely terrifying and painful experience for the victim. I felt the darkness close in on me. I began to fade. I fell backward and he caught me, gently lying me on my back. I gazed into his black, soulless eyes. The last thing I would see and feel as a human being would be him tearing into my chest and pulling out my heart. It didn't hurt as much as I thought it would. I felt warmth and suddenly darkness. Then there was the light. I was dead. As the light drew me in, I felt the most intense sense of belonging I've ever felt. I could sense the presence of family members departed, their smells, their voices whispering that they had been waiting for me. I didn't see faces, only silhouettes. They were pure energy now, ascended to another plane of existence. I knew and recognized them, but also understood what they had become. Peace incarnate. I looked down at my own body, and I too was a large silhouette of light. As I drew closer to them, I could feel their light joining mine. It was like being in the most loving embrace you've ever experienced. Nothing can harm you here, my love. The darkness is gone. The misery is history. We've got you now. Yet, they were wrong. For Alistair the Annihilator had one last horror to perform. As the light engulfed me, nearly taking me whole, I suddenly felt a hand on my back. It grabbed my shoulder and pulled me backward, away from the light. I looked back to see it, but there was nothing. The invisible arm suddenly wrapped around my soul's waistline, and I could feel the pressure as it squeezed tightly. Suddenly, I was racing backward, back, back into the darkness. The light faded from view until there was nothing but the darkest, most deprived feeling you could sense. I woke screaming, and in an unbelievable amount of pain. My body was soaked in blood, my own, I imagined. As I opened my eyes and struggled to focus, I could hear a shot ring out as my two protectors charged into the room. I heard them cry out, and then silence. You must feed, quickly, before the last breath escapes them. I felt him lift me up and push my head toward one of the fallen agents like a dog owner trying to coax their puppy to try a new food. <coughs> God, Some, somebody help me. 
Like that stubborn pooch, at first I resisted, but an insatiable hunger suddenly took me over. I was ravenous like I hadn't eaten in weeks, and someone placed a porterhouse directly in front of me. The smell of the blood was intoxicating. It seemed to call my name. Ariana, Ariana, drink me. Take your fill. I felt my features suddenly change. It was subtle at first, then a violent, rapid shift in bone, skin, and hair. I was no longer a human being, but some sort of scavenger, feasting on the prey of another's kill. I drank until I could no longer feel any wetness in the carcass. Then, with my dagger-like hands, I dug into the internal organs, ripping through the rib cage and exposing the heart and lungs. I went straight for the meaty engine that sustained this poor soul's life, ripping it open with one of my knifey nails and having all the glorious blood pour onto my tongue and down my throat. There's no orgasm that could rival the ecstasy I felt as I bathed in the blood. Every single inch of my soul seemed to rejoice as I filled my new addiction. It was like being dead the brief time I had it. As if our victims died, we got a little taste of the other place as their essence vacated their earthly containers. As suddenly as it came, it was gone. The blood was no longer as nourishing as it once was. Alas, the last spark is gone. Hopefully you've gotten your fill in time. I... I don't understand. It's simple, dear. Once the last spark of life is gone, the blood is no longer tangible. It's just a liquid, like any other. It won't quench your thirst. No. What I mean is, I don't understand why you did this to me. Did what? Changed me. I told you no. You said I had a choice. As my eyes gazed toward him, he was no longer the grey monster with elongated ears and a shark's jaws. The gentleman had returned. You did? And I was going to respect that. I fed... But then I realized I simply couldn't let you die. You were too precious a creature to destroy. You had to be with you, us. You death raped me. You stole death from me. <laughs> death raped? A term I have never heard. Necrophilia, sure. But death raped? Okay, fine. Sorry about that. You see, that's why I had you feed so quickly. I waited too long to bring you back. It was just... You tasted... so good. I completely forgot my intentions. By the time I remembered, you had already begun losing your spark. <laughs> I know. I know. It's terrible, yes. I know, You don't know how close you came to being a member of the undead. Member of the undead, you friggin' asshole! Nonsense! You are the premier predator. An animal like any other. Just with certain qualities that few other species can match. What you don't know, 
my pretty, is had I waited until your spark had fully left the building, you would have been undead. Your soul would be in heaven or wherever it is the mortal spark goes when they perish. But your body would have remained animate, a mindless, hungry shell that neither concealed itself from its true nature nor fully transformed into Ferratu. You would become what is known as a Draugr. A what? A Draugr. Oh, uh, what is the current vernacular now? The Walking Dead? Zombie? <laughs> you should have seen the mess Jack created back in the early 1900s. An entire town in the West had to be... exterminated. Jack? You read the letter. My maker. Jack the Ripper. I glanced toward the carnage of the carcass that had become my first meal as a vampire. I believe his name was Dix. A nice fellow. He was telling me how excited he was to be getting some time off to see his daughter. He won't be making the trip now. Suddenly, a strange sensation of disgust and remorse washed over me like a large wave. You've destroyed everything. Would you rather be dead? Yes, I even asked for it, you prick. Ah, my dear. I'll leave you now to collect your thoughts and learn your place. Then when you're ready, and not as angry, I'll return to show you how to live as what you are now. Just remember, my beloved, you are now one of us. You must feed. Don't wait too long, or you'll lose all control of it. That's when unfortunate things happen. <sighs> Just leave. Very well. A breeze passed me, and I was alone, with two dead, mutilated bodies in my bedroom. Ambrose and Cantello found me the next morning, still sitting in front of the two dead FBI agents who lost their lives trying to protect me from Alistair the Annihilator. I pretended to be in a catatonic state to avoid the questions about what happened, at least for a little while. I also destroyed Alistair's letter. They didn't need to be exposed any more to the horror and realization of what we are cattle for the immortals. In humanity's arrogance, we assumed that we were the top of the food chain. We had the biggest brains, which meant we'd control the air, the seas, and the land. Little did we imagine that there were creatures that not only had all of our qualities, but were virtually indestructible. Immortals, feasting on the souls of creatures inferior to them. Us. I was placed in the hospital for observation. When I finally did speak, I filled Ambrose and Cantella with a story of a human serial killer who surprised the three of us with a highly thought-out plan of attack. He killed the two agents and threatened, but didn't injure me. Did he say anything to you? Any idea why he spared you? Only that I had a special role in his plan. Ambrose suddenly hugged me. I pulled away slightly, shyly. I didn't want to be touched. I still felt violated by what Alistair did. You are ice cold, honey. Cantello, give me those blankets over there. Let's open these blinds. 
There, much better. The sun's rays poured into the room, surrounding me. I half expected to burst immediately into flames, but instead, the rays felt warming to my skin. As my epidermis took it in, I felt weaker. I could sense what powers had developed were quickly dissipating in the light of day. I wondered if my immortality went with it. Look, we're gonna let you rest. You'll be here another day or so, and then you'll have some leave coming to you. No. Uh, no. I want to get back on the job as quickly as possible. Ariana, you just went face to face with one of the most prolific serial killers of all time. You saw him kill two fellow agents right in front of you. Sweetie, take some time off. Get out of town. Go somewhere where nobody, especially he, can find you. I don't think that's possible. Well, you're crazy if you think they'll let you back on the job anytime soon. You'll have to pass a psyche valve, and sweetie, that ain't happening in your current state. They gave me a month off, and I had to see the FBI shrink a few times before she'd sign off that I was ready for duty. That month was difficult, but I figured out what I needed to do. While on leave, I frequented drug hangouts, tracking the junkies to their pushers, and, well, you can imagine what happened next. Once I returned to duty, it became a lot easier. We focused on finding Alvin Morrissey for a time, but Alistair had covered his tracks well, moving on to another area, another identity. All the money he had was transferred to an anonymous offshore account before we could put a freeze on it. From there, it had been transferred to hundreds of other anonymous accounts that would take decades to trace. He was gone. Ambrose assumed he would go dark for a while. Of course, I knew better. Alistair was still going to have his kills. He was just going to be a little more careful and discreet. It wasn't about protecting himself, but to me as his protege. With the Annihilator's trail cold as ice, we moved on to other cases. During the day, I would hunt down murderers. In the evening, I would take them. For a time, I became the Dexter Morgan of vampires, punishing those who, despite overwhelming evidence, had escaped justice or had eluded authorities to avoid prosecution and fell between my crosshairs. It went well for a time, but both Ambrose and Cantello were brilliant detectives. It wasn't long until it dawned on how we were going through a rough patch, finding and prosecuting suspected serial killers. We hadn't made an arrest in six months, and Gio was getting heat from up above. They believed we weren't solving the cases and allowing the maniacs to run free. I knew the truth. They were all dead and wouldn't be troubling anyone else. Still, that didn't help Ambrose. He was growing more and more frustrated, working later hours and burning the candle at both ends. He made it harder on me to feed my need. Knowing we needed a caller, I helped them track down Silas Wiley, a monster who had killed seven little girls. He would normally end up my latest meal, but Wiley served to get Geo and the muckety-mucks upstairs off of our backs. I thought Ambrose would also begin to relax more since the cold streak was over. But he didn't. He worked even harder, believing that it was that work ethic that brought Wiley to justice.
A new case arose in Tampa, Florida. Someone was murdering strippers from the establishments on Dale Mabry Highway. We believed it to be a John, who had been soliciting them for after-parties. We called him the after-party killer. I went undercover as a stripper. I had no qualms about it, and played the role to a T. It was surprisingly easy to entice the men by gyrating on a stripper pole. I found the dances a little too personal, but it was a necessary act. I was very popular, and had drawn a following. Ambrose hated that I put myself out there like that. He was developing a thing for me. I knew because one of these vampire powers is telepathy. I could read his mind. He'd see me butt naked, flaunting my stuff every night as he sat in the back corner of the club, and kept his eyes completely fixated on me. Cantello served drinks to the guests and cased the place. The local PD was familiar with our operation and knew me. Each new stripper case saw us investigating the crime scene. In each case, DNA from the same assailant would be found on the Vic's body. Unfortunately, it didn't match anyone in the database, so until we caught the perp, we wouldn't be able to identify him. Genetic markers pointed to a white male of Germanic descent. Anyone matching the markers would immediately be observed and investigated. Finally, we tracked a blonde-haired man in his mid-twenties, Arnold Soerberg, who had been seen in each of the clubs just before the victims had met their end. He finally came to our club, Touchdowns, to meet my alter ego, Lynx. Coming to the stage, Luscious Lynx, our gothic priestess! I burst onto the stage as I had so many times before. Immediately, the air of oils and sweat seemed to attack my nostrils. I strutted around the stage, catching the eyes of assorted aroused men of all ages, races, and creeds. Dollar bills clutched in their fingertips. They beckoned me over to spend a few torturous seconds gyrating my goods in front of them. Some were bolder than others, flicking my nipples with the edge of their bills, or scraping my inner thigh with their money, fulfilling some sort of fantasy that we were actually intimate. I had learned a new respect for the women who put themselves through this. Sure, there were some just working their way through school, others who were supporting their drug habit, and some who just got off in the attention received from the men. But to demean themselves for a fistful of bills, it took some guts. I spotted Sorberg sitting away from the stage in a dark corner sipping a drink. Cantello had been over a few times to check on him, but he kept his eyes fixated on me. Once my set was over, I put on a sling that served as my walk-around clothing. I saw some of my regulars, avoiding them to make a move towards Sorberg. He was no longer focusing on the stage, but his eyes were searching around the club. 
I slipped behind him and then pulled my body against his. Hey there, sexy. How about a dance? You are very talented. I believe I would love a dance with you, but not here. I'm sorry, I don't do that sort of thing. I'll make it very profitable for you. Sorry, creep. I don't work like that. Come on now. What do you need? Money? Meth? A BMW? I'm very friendly to my girls. All you need to do is join me later tonight. Fine. But I'm not making any promises of any kind of interaction. And everyone will know I left with you. Oh? Fine. Just fine. He left shortly after our conversation, and I had a private dance with Ambrose, who fitted me with a miniature microphone that was the size of a small pin. The new mics were wireless, making them perfect for planting bugs, and they also doubled as a tracker. As I returned to my dancing duties in the club, Ambrose made his way to our surveillance van, sneaking in the side door opposite to the club. How's it looking? <laughs> Extremely hot. Agent Grayson is a smoke show tonight. Keep your eyes on the prize, Agent. Sorry, sir, just keeping it 100. Keep it 100 on the subject. The subject has left the building and is just sitting in that dark SUV over there. Are those Diplo plates? It looks like it. Crap, I didn't know he was a diplomat. Wasn't in the dossier. I don't know how to explain it. He must have been driving up from the embassy in Miami. We can't freaking touch him without catching him in the act, and even then, the Germans will just whisk him off for their own form of justice. It means he'll probably be sent to Brazil or another diplomatic mission. Confirmed. Ariana's mic is live. We can't call this off. Even if he is a diplomat, he's killing people. Let him do it in someone else's country. Our first charge is to protect the citizens of the United States. The club closed around 3 a.m. the next morning. I joined the girls as they filed out to the back of the club. Some went with Johns, while others simply got rides with their boyfriends, or girlfriends, as the case may be. Soon, Cantello and I were the only ones left standing outside. He's waiting for me to be alone. Yeah, I agree. I don't like it, though, Ariana. Where's your weapon? I felt a sudden urge to rip into Cantello's midsection and suck her innards dry. It had been too long since I fed. I fought back the urge and focused on the task. Trust me, you don't want to know. That's just nasty! Cantello gave a disgusted look and then moved away to her vehicle. I didn't have a weapon on me. Faratu need no weapons. Are you ready, my sweet? I didn't think you were going to show up. Agent Grayson has entered the suspect's vehicle. What was that? Cantello, what's your 20? Stuck in traffic. 
Okay, fine. We'll have to pick her up, I suppose. Sphinx, get us moving. Uh, sir? Yeah? The tracker hasn't moved. We're not getting anything. What? Damn it! Comms here! All units! I need eyes on a dark Ford Explorer with German diplomatic plates. Coordinate with local law. We need to find this car immediately. I need air support. Bring in the damn Marines! I need everybody on this! We lost Agent Grayson! Repeat! We lost Agent Grayson! Thank you for listening to Vampires of Whitechapel. If you like our show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps that podcasts are aired. Be sure to rate our show. If you'd like to listen to commercial-free versions of this podcast and ensure the next season of Vampires of Whitechapel, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash TFA Entertainment. We will have exclusive Vampires of Whitechapel content, including Patreon-only episodes, early access to these episodes, and behind-the-scenes interviews with actors and creators, all just for you. Join us in two weeks for the next spine-tingling chapter of Vampires of Whitechapel. Alistair Conisher was played by Alexander Doughty. Ariana Grayson was played by Kat Noel. Carl Ambrose was played by Eric Holloway. Larissa Cantello was played by Rita Delatore. Agent Sphinx was played by Ashley Eshwari. Ghostly Ancestor was played by Melanie Scroggins. The MC was played by Kevin Oakley. Agent Dix and Sorberg were played by J.C. Delatore. This episode was written, produced, and directed by J.C. Delatore. Music for this episode was provided by Midnight Syndicate. Find more of their music at midnightsyndicate.com. You can find out the latest news and developments regarding this audio drama at vampiresofwhitechapel.transmissionsfromatlantis.com and our Facebook page. Be sure to follow the vamps on Twitter at Ariana Grayson, at Alistair the Vamp, and at Jack the Ripper WC. But be warned, if you at them, they just may at you back. This has been a production of Transmissions from Atlantis Entertainment. Welcome to another bizarre episode brought to you in amazing 3D. 3D radio. Hello, faithful listeners. I am Victor, your humble host. Welcome to Schlock Audio Theater, where cinema is a cheesy delight, filled to the brim with juicy leaps of logic, where the bottom of the barrel is top shelf, where bad is better, cheap is chic, plots are pointless, and a good time is had by all. (laughs) Now, adjust those audio goggles, and hang on because Schlock Audio Theater is on the air! Bigor! Hi, Rich with the Texas Radio Theater Podcast. Look for us 
on iTunes and wherever you get your audio feeds. Over the next few episodes of Season 8, we are revisiting and reposting the Schlock Audio Theater titles produced by the Columbia Radio Theater over a dozen years ago, and we're inviting their co-creator, Charles Pratt, to comment on them and on Schlock Audio in general. So lots of great stuff that has somehow avoided the internet for years, but we found them and we're bringing them back to you. So adjust your audio goggles and prepare to watch more Schlock Audio on the Texas Radio Theater Podcast. Podcast.